Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dax Shepard. I'm joined by Monica Lily Padman. We are in Gay Paris. That's right. Oh my God, what a it's treat. It's beautiful. It's rainy. And I don't even have sad here. Yeah, that is weird. Well, <laughs> it's not weird. If it's part an, of if the If the shopping's good enough, you won't have sad. That's the cure. That's the key. So if you are suffering from sad, <laughs> go shopping. We'd figured it out. You know who doesn't have sad? Elijah Wood. No, he has happy and he gives me happy. Yes, of course. He couldn't have sad and have lived in New Zealand for so long because it's a temperate climate. There's clouds and whatnot. Elijah Wood, of course, is an actor and a producer. You know him from Lord of the Rings, Green Street, Wilfred, and Sin City. And he has a new movie out right now called No Man of God. No Man of God follows serial killer Ted Bundy as he develops a strange and complicated relationship with FBI agent Bill Hagmire while detailing his heinous crimes after being sentenced to death by electrocution. Oh, oh, this is perfect for Halloween. Oh, my God. I got the spirit already. I want the armchairs to hear the sounds of Paris. Yeah. Wee wee! That was Dax. (laughs) What else? Uh... Merci. With lots of Enchanté. love and respect. That's all love and respect. I'm not, I'm oh, not absolutely. We love it here. Yeah. Okay. Please enjoy it. Elijah Wood. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.5% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA member FDIC. Terms apply. We are supported by HelloFresh. You know, there are days when it's really hard to decide what to eat. You stare blankly into the fridge for what feels like hours with no success. And you end up hangry. Well... I've got a solution. HelloFresh, they deliver fresh ingredients and chef-curated recipes straight to your home. And they even take care of the meal planning. I love it because I always text Callie, what should I eat for dinner? Okay, you ask her a lot. Uh, Yeah, because I get stressed and overwhelmed. And she doesn't know. And so HelloFresh is so great if I have it because then it's all there. I don't have to make any decisions. Well, what did you get into last night? Ooh, last night I had a, you know I love prosciutto. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't? That was so good. I had a prosciutto-wrapped chicken and it had a truffle chive mashed potatoes and a lemony broccoli. It was delicious. Oh, my goodness. Go to HelloFresh.com slash DaxFree and use the code DaxFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life. Available for a limited time at HelloFresh.com slash DaxFree with the code DaxFree. He's an You don't have to. Okay. Yeah, it's totally yeah, up it's to you. Yeah, whatever you like to do. Well, you've been interviewed a million times. I don't need to tell you, but I find that I feel 4% smarter. When you can hear your when voice. When I hear my voice like. coming <laughs> through headphones, I really do. I feel like it like somehow validates that we should be doing this. It, makes it also it like it, a real job. That's the thing. Yeah. It feels real. Mm-hmm. It feels like what we're doing is real. <laughs> that's right. Great point, Monica. Mm-hmm. Like if we were just chatting, then we'd be like, what is this, a fucking chat? Right. <laughs> Put the headphones on. We're like, oh, this is an this industry. Is a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Wow, so this is where the magic happens, right in this room. Yes. In I this love little it. room for like almost going on four years, and we're yeah. both, well, I think all through. I don't know. Wobby Wob, how do you feel about the building the new place? What do you mean? 40 feet that way, I'm building a barn. Okay. And then Dope. above I the barn. I love a barn. Me too. Good move. It's kind of a dream. Yeah, same. Really? Is it because Iowa and Michigan? What's Why is it? No. I love them aesthetically. Yeah. I love the giant art ceilings, yeah. all of the exposed posts and beams. Like mm-hmm. I love all that. Me too. But just Me from too. an architectural standpoint. And, and converting a barn specific, because I love a barn as its function. Sure. Uh-huh. But I also love a barn in a conversion sense where you can make it something. I love spaces that are meant to be one thing and are converted to something else. Mixed messages. Mixed messages. We love mixed messages Monica and I's, We're all about mixed messages. I guess it's our motto or our life. <laughs> <laughs> what do we say? It's our a, mixed a mantra in a way. We love mixed messages. So even right now, you're banging mixed messages. So I know you're <laughs> okay. from Iowa. Yeah. And the guy look at you and I'm like, one of the least looking Iowa guys I've ever met. I don't even know what that means. You mean like he's not wearing yeah. corn stock shirts? And no, stuff? no, cowboy hat. No, but you just look, I would say you look Euro. Okay. In a good way. That's like, cool. Like, even in fact, I just learned about you. Is your partner Danish? Yes. I was like, you know, Elijah could be Danish. That to Oh, me, I could see that. I do have Dane way back. You do? In, in European lineage. Danish. And then there's also like English and Irish in there too. But yeah, there's there's Danish in there. Right. So you have this wonderful aesthetic. Your eyes are insane, they obviously. Are. As they you are. already know, they're your calling card. Yeah. But you have these enormous sharp blue eyes. You look healthy. And your style is a little bit Euro, which I really like. Thank you. What you are don't they? have like a fucking angel back piece like no, Ben Affleck I have a, or anything. I have a stick and poke woman on my left shoulder. See, Ooh. stick and poke. I have some silly tattoos from a film festival in Austin, Texas called Fantastic Fest where they give out free tattoos at the closing night party. They've been doing this for about <laughs> six years. Give out free and so I, have, I literally, I'll show you. They're the Please do. Oh, this is great. Like not what you go to choose to have, but it's oh, a firecracker. Oh. Yeah. This was. Um, oh, no, it's a th- no, laser it's a, gun. Yeah, it's a, a ray gun, ray which was gun. the logo of the festival that year. That's a, oh, a rubber God. chicken, which was in reference oh. to a Danish movie with Mess Mickelson called Men and Chickens that played at the festival that year. Okay. And there's a kaiju. And that is in reference to a Nacho Vigalondo movie with a giant monster. This is my stick and poke Ooh, lady. Oh, I like her. Who did that? Taddy Compton. She's an incredible stick and poke artist. Based here in LA, she's from the UK. I and my fiance had been following her on Instagram and sure, just like sure. loving her work. Yeah. And just made an appointment and kind of, I gave her a variety of reference images that uh-huh. I sort of wanted, but without like a great deal of specificity because mm-hmm. I just wanted her work yeah and then she came up with something and then we did a tiny modification on the day and that's what it was okay so back to me saying um like tasteful i stand by it because you don't have like a big aggro fucking skull (laughs) and some flames yeah i don't have a i don't have a sleeve you don't don't, have a sure sure i want a sleeve do you want a sleeve i want more tattoos yeah but the acting gets in the way right I don't know. I mean, if you're okay with sitting in makeup a little bit longer. I'm not. Are you? (laughs) Sure. Well, fuck. Your whole career has been like prosthetic shit and really, really intense stuff. Right. So you don't have anything below your sleeve. I see. Well, let's see. This was the thing I'm talking about. It was fucking tribal and it was a a sun with fire coming out and it was from a a punk band I liked, Soulside, and it was just too big and not nice. A lotus tree or? Close. A cherry blossom. Cherry blossom, right. And so I'm heading in your direction. 
I'm right. trying to not be tough to be and angry. I'm trying to be delicate and, and tasteful and artistic Have, and elevated. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be a Philistine with my tattoo. Right. You well, know? Look, I think any approach that one takes with body art is fine. It's what means something to you. Tattoos, by their very nature, I think are just meaningful expressions. And uh-huh. the stick and poke didn't have an emotional resonance, but right. it was an artistic one. It was a piece of art that I loved that I would love to have on my body. I have the Lord, uh, of, the Rings the Lord of the Rings tattoo. Yeah. That is elvish for the number nine. That is very specific yeah. to a moment in time, yeah. to a group of people, to a connection to New Zealand and, and otherwise. So it's whatever means something to you. I have a question about the film festival tattoos. Yeah. So is it a standard tattoo that they give everyone? So it started... God, I want to say it was pre-pandemic, right? So I have to go back an additional two years. So it would have been seven years ago that they were starting it. And it was just an idea that they had at the closing night party. And I think it was available to everyone at that stage. I think mm. that became untenable. Just, sure. There's so many people. And I think you could like opt in the first year. Then they figured out a way to basically service X amount of people and kind of cap it. Uh-huh. it was sort of, oh, and then the people that couldn't do it at the closing night party, they were like, you can go to this mm. tattoo artist and get it on your own time. Rain check. Got it. If you want. And then every year there were, I think, six designs that you could choose okay. from. So it wasn't a single design. Okay. It was a series. And all of them were based on something to do with either the films that played at the festival or the festival itself. Cool. And it would change every year. Okay, so here's where I think we might have some overlap. Okay. Did you spend time in New Zealand? I did. With Seth Green, right? That's right. Um, Who you remind me a ton of, by Oh, I the love way. Seth. Seth is such oh, a lovely human being. He's the best we've got. I don't understand how a person is that benevolent and also successful and driven. I agree. And, yeah. <laughs> He's extremely special. <laughs> he without is. a paddle, was that the film? Yes, without yes. a paddle, yes. Good, you're a fan. He's I, a big fan. I, 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 remember, <laughs> I remember when that was happening because I just remember thinking, oh, God, they're going to have so much fun in New Zealand. And Because that had, was after we had made rings. Exactly. Yeah. And we had a good deal of your crew. So the year before, oh, right. like this is a $20 million comedy. And I think like eight people in the production had won Academy Awards that previous year from your film. Wow. Yeah, like wow. the hair and makeup was that, the costume designer, all amazing people. Mm-hmm. And as you would know way more than me, I think I was down there for four months and I just loved it. Like I was bonkers for that place. Isn't and it I, incredible? I'm saddened that I haven't found my way back for fun. Yeah. That was like 16 years ago. So you were there cumulatively for two years, maybe? It was 16 months of principal photography. And yeah. then we went back every year for additional. F- footage uh, two months one and a half to two months a year for each individual film so it was over the course of four years yes was our time oh and then here we go so you guys had the premiere for the third one while we were shooting oh wow in wellington yes and they flew a fucking monica you've heard me tell the story so i was renting an apartment (laughs) like in the downtown street oh you were based in wellington yes okay cool and there was one kind of downtown street you all marched down let me set courtney place is where we were okay great so i had an apartment on courtney place on the top floor so i'm on my balcony at that time in New Zealand, there were only 3 million human beings, and 1 million people attended that. Do you remember oh this? There was God. a huge parade. Yes, and it went all the way. You guys left maybe the Intercontinental and somehow I think, walked. I think you're right, yeah. 
So this Woo. was like, there's nothing to compare it to here in the States. Like yeah. it was like Super Bowl times 10. Just one third of the country had come to this thing. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm <laughs> on the bonkers street? to think about. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. And like spilling out of buildings and balconies wow. on the rooftops. Like it was really And then all funneling surreal. down the street. And at the end yeah. of the street was this huge theater where the, where oh the premiere was. Gosh. But I'm outside like looking at this spectacle and it's incredible. And then I hear like, I think like World War II sound. Like I hear a fucking airplane like <gasps> oh. like descending, right? And I turn and I look and there is a 747. Is that what it was? Yeah. Whatever the biggest goddamn airplane Qantas Airlines could scratch up. Was it Qantas? No, I think it was Air, Air New, New Zealand. Zealand. Okay, yeah. Air New Zealand. A 747 fucking buzzed that parade, <laughs> which I'm what? sure I'm exaggerating. What's that but mean? Flew much lower than On the fourth oh. floor of this apartment building, <laughs> I thought I, I was, it was, I could touch the fucking, uh, yeah, it did was incredible. Think, did you think it was a terrorist attack? No, because their faces were on the side of the airplane. Oh. And I was think those terrorists spent so much time and got a really good muralist because that is fucking phenomenal. So no, it was clear oh. that this was some kind of participation, but man, wow. they flew a 747, yeah. I don't know, 400 feet off the ground wow. or something. It was incredible. Yeah, crazy. Really crazy. And then, and just to give you a little inside dirt, so Seth and Matt were like, well, Matt in particular, Lillard. Mm -hmm. He was going to die if he didn't make it to that premiere on time. And we were... We had to shoot that day, right? So, oh no way! The whole day he was really campaigning for us to get out to go to the. Anyways, we went to it, but the best part, oh. yeah, we did. I went to that premiere. Amazing! That was a big hoopla for you. I mean, that's a that's sensory overload. It was a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel in those stitches? That was like a Beatles moment for you. Kind of. You sort of lean on the people around you, right? Like we right. were all experiencing that thing collectively together. And that's about all you can do to process it. Also, emotionally, it was the last time you guys were going to do that, theoretically, right? There's that, too. It was a homecoming. And New Zealand felt like home. So as big as that spectacle was, it was also... That was Courtney Place. It was the NBC Theater. Like, that yeah. was home. It. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We know this place. We know these people. Wait, does anyone hear this story of a million people on the street and, like, Pan like I don't think I could ever be around that many people now. Well, can again, I, can I tell you? Oh, though, that's interesting. Yeah, when you're Post. in Manhattan, Post. but when you're in Manhattan during the day, Manhattan swells to like 12 million people, and that's a nine mile long. But I'm island. saying now, like even oh, now oh, in, in New York, I wonder how I'd feel. Like, mm. oh my god, so many people. It's so crowded. Everyone's sick. <laughs> Everyone's dying. <laughs> Everyone's sick. Everyone might shoot me. Like I just like am panicked now around wow. all those people. I'm not, are you? Not really. Yeah. I just came from Europe, and in Denmark, they don't have a mask mandate anymore, so yeah. it, it's almost like it's not happening, Yeah, yeah. despite the fact that it is happening, yeah. but they don't have a mask mandate. So walking around, it's as if there is no pandemic, mm -hmm. and we're on trains and train stations yeah. and surrounded by people, and it was kind of amazing how quickly you do accept that old reality. It's, it's, right. it's, it's muscle memory. Your body just goes, oh... This is how it was, Normal. right? Instead of that panic, but I understand that. I just, I think my body just went to, oh, this is good. Yeah. I see faces and I'm, you know, yeah. around other people again. Yeah. Like, I'm you know. with you. I was just in Michigan for like five days and guess what? It's not there. They well, don't. That's, that's, <laughs> hold on. That's, a, hold on. that's a scary yeah. situation. <laughs> well, how's that different than Denmark? Because I bet it's the same vaccination no, rate. I doubt it. I doubt then it. Michigan, I doubt that. Well, where I was at in Oakland County, it's a blue bubble. Oh, okay. so, but oh, actually, yeah, Michigan is a little bit more on the it, blue it, side. We've only gone red the first Trump election. Prior right. to that, it's because it's a union right. state. So it's right. been very democratic. But anyways, 
my takeaway from that was like, A, I enjoyed it. Just like you're saying. I was like, Lovely. oh, fuck, I forgot there was a thing. Yep. And, and I didn't get sick, whatever. I left going like, man, the power of your group is everything. Like the power of socialization, the power of groups, I adapted to that group within mm -hmm. two days. Mm -hmm. Like I was aware of it the first day and then it was gone. I just go yes. to a restaurant, never thought about it. Everyone around me, I don't know, I think you get such clues from everyone that are almost inescapable. You do. And you also take comfort in that group dynamic as long as you trust that that group dynamic is making the right choice. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was just really overwhelmed with like, oh, I left LA panicked. And then 36 hours later, I've never heard of Corona. <laughs> and then I came back to LA and then I was back into yeah. Probably it's like having a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where did you spend your quarantine? Here in Los Angeles. Oh, you did? Yeah. And you've lived here since 1989, is that? Yeah, 89. Great year. Monica's two years old at that point. Two. And, and you're eight years old. Yes. Yeah. It's a bummer that you're already linked up. Anyways, yeah. you know, the age gap is nice. It's a good gap. Yeah, six years, seven years. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the dream yeah. for a man because we're basically six years in mature. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's very it really true. Is. Yeah, women do mature way faster. <laughs> they do. They do. It takes us a while to catch up. That's true. We're Six so, years even is a little it's on the cusp. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little on the cusp. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice ten year gap. Also, I'm a little nervous that you're not comfortable. Do you feel like I'm? Well, I want you, however comfortable you are, but I'm nervous that you're not. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Oh Fuck Let's me, man. It. Rob, get the camera yeah. back out. I observed the same thing, and I thought this guy is an enigma to me because he wants to sit up straight with no. He's not lazy. Well, this started before we were recording. Is that okay. you? You wake up two hours early before your call time. <laughs> yes, and call times are generally quite early. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what time are we talking about waking? So it's up? anywhere between an hour and a half to two hours. So what's the cap? Will you wake up at four? I will say, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. In fact, I was just in Bulgaria working on a film, and I think I had a 5.30 a.m. call, mm -hmm. and I think I woke up at like 3.45. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And are you able to go to sleep? Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, touch and go. It depends. Yeah. Depends on how adjusted I am to a certain time zone. And also, yeah, it is not necessarily easy to get to wind yourself down that early. But within six to seven hours, like not a great eight-hour sleep, but, uh -huh. you know. Wow. I want to observe you really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I want to like cohabitate in Airbnb it's, with you and watch this happen. It's a thing that I started, I don't even know when. It's just to retain some degree of control of your day mm -hmm. prior to it being someone else's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you go to work, you are on the clock as soon as you get there. And I just would get up early so as to have my own time. Make coffee, not be stressed to be late. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, that wasn't even a concern. Mm -hmm. It's just have a shower, make some food, yeah. have some coffee. You know, I used to smoke, so I would like smoke a little bit and hang, and hang out. It's kind of like preserving from an emotional and mental state, but also physically your time. I like it a lot. And what I'm realizing when you explain it that way is that I kind of do that in the reverse. Okay. So when you go, okay, I'm going to wake up at 3.45, odds are you didn't go to bed at 8. You probably I, went to bed at 9.30 or yeah, something. So yeah. you, you kind of go to yourself, you know what, I'm going to get 7 tonight, or I'm going to get sure. 6 and a half, but I yeah. want that time. Yeah. I do the thing at night. So I look at the clock, I'm like, you should go to bed right now. And I'm like, I have to have an hour and a half where I just do my thing. Sit yes. And, yeah. and I'll eat it on that side. Okay. All right, so I guess we're not too far astray. But mornings are hard. I mean, I'm impressed. I am too. It also helps with that process too, because if I'm already two hours into the day by the time I'm being picked up, mm -hmm. I've done that kind of uncomfortable wake-up process. Yeah. Right, right. You know, on rings, that was not possible. We were doing 15, 16-hour days, oh. and I, on many occasions, 
and this had never happened before, and it certainly hasn't happened since, would wake up to the lights of the car outside of my home. Oh, really? Like, oh, now it's time to... And I would have like a two-minute shower and jump in the car. That was brutal. Okay. Oof. Brutal, but, but also kind of like... Can you enjoy it? Because like, yeah. I like getting shot out of a cannon a little yeah, bit. Yeah, totally. It became so the norm. We're very adaptable. Yeah. And I think you just adapt to whatever that situation is. And if you're getting six hours of sleep a night and you're ultimately just waking up just in time to get in the car. Yeah, yeah. That's just your norm. I would get coffee when I got to Stone Street and like, okay, now I'm going to stand as they put my feet on. You know, uh-huh. you just get wow. used to that process because you're all kind of in it together. You guys, I know you had like a nice four month kind of ramp up to production starting. Yeah. Did you know those guys? I did not. Did I not. knew no one. No one. I mean, I met Sean Aston uh-huh. in a hotel like a couple months before we started uh-huh. because he was going to get his wig fit as I was finishing my wig fitting. Uh-huh. Um, so we like saw each other and embraced, like had never met, but I like knew who he was and we like ran up to each other and hugged each other. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. Do you find like Seth, him, the handful of kids who've been acting since they were six years old, mm-hmm. when you meet them, do you feel like you've got like a shorthand to who they are or some connection that you guys both understand each other? Oh, that's interesting. From having started as a young yeah actor because i gotta say i think it does something very specific to people maybe and it's a positive thing from my point of view but i don't know how you feel about it with seth it's different because i knew him at different times of my life because seth and his family lived at the oakwood apartments i think when we had first moved to la you lived there too yeah oh yeah (gasps) and you've seen the complex the documentary complex i haven't actually seen it is it good it's incredibly well done, but I wonder if it would trigger people who lived there. It feels like there's so many stories to tell. My impression was that it didn't get deep enough, but I don't, oh, I, okay. but I don't know. Oh, yeah, perhaps. Because you know Nirvana lived there during Nevermind? No. Yeah. Oh, they didn't say that. That's oh, what I'm so saying. Wow. Like, oh, oh, oh. I feel like there's so many. Jennifer Love Hewitt lived there when I was there. Oh, man. Yeah, um, it was a very specific story they were telling. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I had always fantasized of the larger... Maybe you should Mill do you. it. I don't know. No, <laughs> That's for someone else. You know. I don't need to tell that story. But it's fascinating to me. Yeah. It is incredibly fascinating. So before I saw the documentary, mm-hmm. and again, just to catch everyone up, there's yeah. a very famous set of apartment buildings where generally people coming from different states to audition for pilots and whatnot stay. They're often furnished. You can get them unfurnished, but they're furnished, which makes it easier. They're furnished. They've got like breakfast and stuff. Like there's a little cafeteria kind of situation. And there's a there's convenience store, mm-hmm. a little market, a couple of pools. and stuff for kids. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, That's everything you need. Yeah, so <laughs> my brother worked at one of the convenience stores. Oh, he did. Wow. Oh my goodness! Like take beer home and <laughs> oh you know, wow. Well, so the whole thing. I did a movie with Josh Hutcherson when he was twelve years old, and he was of course living there. Mm-hmm. And I would go pick him up to take him to Bob's Big Boys on Friday nights because it's like car night, right? Yeah. And, and I just know he fucking loved that place. Like I'd pick him up, and he would just be finishing playing with like twenty kids, and, yeah. and he loved the breakfast there and stuff. <laughs> it's kind of like the Lost Boys or something there, you yeah. know? All these oh, transplants funny. from different parts of the U.S. kind of in this fantasy land where your neighbors are like right there. You're all kind of doing the same stuff. Uh-huh. It's, I mean, I was a little young to have participated in all of that. Yeah, were you just kind of looking at all these kids going like, wow, these are kids are huge? And I don't think I had any perspective. We lived in, I think, three different units over the course of a year and a half. Because it's like month to month. Mm-hmm. Oh, they bounce you around a little bit. I can't remember <laughs> why we moved, but we yeah. would like move to different units. And I was just young. I was like eight years old. I certainly didn't have the autonomy to like run around with a bunch of kids. I had friends there. There were definitely hangs for sure. But 
I think for the kids who were older, it was probably a more formative experience. If you were a teenager there oh, or, my God. or adolescent, it would have been insane. It would yeah. have been the dream. <laughs> you know, like kind of lawless. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It makes me think of like when you go to the mall as like a 14-year-old, like everyone was an option. Sure. Like you were going to chat. <laughs> Yeah, so to like basically, basically like living at the mall, kind of. Yeah. In the 90s. Kind of crazy. <laughs> oh my God, I love it so much. To get back to Seth, I had met Seth at different periods of my life. So when I would see him, I don't know that I identified, oh, he's another person that started quite young. He's also just in a very emotionally available person. You get that from Seth as soon as you meet him. Yes. Very so sincere. I think that's the way in there. It's like, oh, he's a lovely person. I can yeah. see that. That's very clear. But so Sean, you aren't necessarily. And Sean's busy. the same. And again, I don't know that I identified he's another actor that started young, 10 years my senior, certainly someone I looked up to yeah. and had watched as a kid. Sure. I mean, Goonies was Goonies. huge. Yeah. Huge. You got to be floored you're doing a movie with Goonies. Totally. Yeah. Freaking yeah. out. Yeah. So I don't know if I've ever had that thing that you're talking about, but I do think that's real. The sort of collective experiences of someone young, not shaping who they are, being able to identify that in someone else. I do think that there is something of that. I have found that most actors who started really young, that I, at least I know, this is so anecdotal, incredibly well-spoken. Like mm. Mae Whitman, Seth, Drew, I've run out of people, but Drew, you know, I know a Drew ton. Drew, Barrymore on yesterday. I think oh, because lovely. you are forced to navigate an adult world, you really, it really right. brushes up your communication skills. I think you get older quicker, and not even in a bad no, way. No, I think that's true. You're just, your peers are adults, basically, mm -hmm. most of your life. Mm -hmm. It shapes who you are, without question. Yeah. You, you do have to be a professional quite young. I mean, I was a professional working actor at the age of nine. With lots to do, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, leading yeah. roles and stuff. Responsibilities yeah. and managing school whilst also being treated like an adult from the people I was working with, uh -huh. which was kind of amazing. And yeah, you learn faster, you grow faster. That's interesting, the observation about the articulation and vocabulary. That could be linked. That makes a lot of sense. Now, when you did the movie with Macaulay, that's probably the first time I find out who Elijah Wood is. Like, okay. How old are you there? I was 12. So I'm 17, 18. Right. Yeah, so I see that movie. Okay. I want to see. Yeah. I'm a Macaulay Culkin fan right. at that point, right. you know? Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I want to know because as a little boy, you're virtually doing a movie with like Burt Reynolds in 79. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, he was huge. He's oh in, like God. The Rock. He was the biggest movie star. Yeah, massive. And was, certainly for children, there was yeah. no other benchmark. I mean, mm -hmm. that was it. Yeah, so what thoughts did you have going into that? Like, you had definitely seen Home Alone and all those things. Were you excited or intimidated? So, so or? excited. But there was also, like, a weird awareness of his family. Like, mm. I remember that okay. being something that already at that time oh it was in the news that his or family just the, that there was sort of rumblings that there was discomfort there yeah yeah yeah, so just, yeah that was a kind of it's a curious thing to be aware of that as a kid so i, I was sort of weirdly aware of that on yeah. some level and did that make you feel compassion for him or yeah. oh yeah. totally yeah. totally but at the same time it wasn't a part of our experience we had the best time you did like he was professional and lovely and fun and we had fun as kids working together like yeah that was an unhindered experience in that regard i think excitement about working with someone who had this sort of huge profile as a Billion kid dollar, and, uh, you know run <laughs> and i was a huge fan of home alone yeah and also Man. i think the intellectualizing 
the slightly controversial move of him playing this villain was really mm. fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of remember thinking that's really smart. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. This kid who is so lovable and indelible with this certain kind of mixed messages reputation, exactly. <laughs> to play on that and and to fuck with people's perception was. I remember thinking that's rad. I agree with you. Like I went into that movie going, well, this kid's he's gotta be the hero. He's America's hero. He's terrifying. In the he movie. absolutely is. Do you have you seen that movie? No. The Good Son? Oh, you gotta see it because little Elijah Boy. It's scary. Uh, he basically plays a disturbed child. Ooh. And I play his cousin who comes to visit for a sort of winter. Oh. And it's this cousin fucking with me the whole movie. It's a psychological Ooh. thriller. Yeah, it's, with, like with the, it's like the bad seed or wow. that kind of thing. Cool. Emotionally and mentally disturbed child. Yeah. But here's where the rubber meets the road. You go from Macaulay Culkin and you come out and you go, who's that other little kid? Yeah. Oh my God. I remember literally, I've had this moment a dozen times in my life, maybe less, where like you see train spotting and you're like, who is this guy, Ewan McGregor? Mm. Holy smokes. And that was Elisha yeah. <laughs> against uh, Burt Reynolds. I know. <laughs> it was really exciting stuff. I, I love, liked it. I love Mac as Burt Reynolds. That's amazing. <laughs> and then, of course, he and Seth are best friends. Yeah. And he comes back, all roads yeah, lead back yeah. to Seth. But again, I always found the fact that those two are really tight mm-hmm. to be somewhat anchored in the fact that they were child actors. Yeah, a point of reference and understanding of each other. I think also a certain type of growth as well, you know? I think that might have more to do with it rather than the sort of we have a reference point that we can be familiar with or is common ground. I think that thing of it's shaped who we are and we can relate to each other in that level maybe has more to do with it. Let me put it this way. In the 20th century, Mm -hmm. there were more children that grew up in work camps than grew up on movie sets. Right. I mean, you're in a tiniest little pool of people it's who have tiny. shared this very bizarre experience. Sure. I, mean, I don't even need to call it bizarre. Unique. Unique, yeah. Yes, unique. So I guess I just feel like, yeah, if you had been in a work camp and you met another kid that had been in a work camp, you'd just kind of be like, oh, yeah, I know, you do this thing. That's true. Like, if you would go hang with normal kids and you're talking about movie shit, they're kind of like, they don't know what the hell you're talking about. But I definitely <laughs> feel, for me personally, I have also compartmentalize my work and my life. Sure. So as I'm actually not interested in talking shop. Okay, good. And never really have been. Great. Which isn't to say that I don't want to hang out with other actors or enjoy shared experiences because that is a part of all of our collective life experience, right? Yeah. But I think maybe why I'm not connecting to that notion as much is just simply because I like to hang out with a lot of people outside of the industry or people who don't necessarily do what I do because sure. I find that interesting and fascinating. So, And by the way, I have no fantasy where you guys are sitting around talking about acting. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? But I no, have no, a fantasy no, you're like the fucking animal wrangler was drunk and he let the totally. goat loose and, you know, that kind of shit. Totally. But I get a lot of that too. Even like New Zealand, for instance, is a huge reference point for me. So knowing that you had an experience there I could talk to you for hours about New Zealand. Same. You know what I mean? And I so don't feel that way about any other place other than Austin, Texas. Same. Austin, too. <laughs> so I could just talk about do you, Austin So do you, do you have a connection to Austin? So I did Idiocracy in Austin. Oh, my God. You were in that movie. God. In fact, you were there at the exact same time. You were doing Sin City. Okay. We were all at the Four Seasons, or at least, I don't oh know God. if I saw you, but I saw 
during that time, Robert Downey was like two doors down right. from me. Keanu was like four doors down from me. Crazy. Jessica Alba was hanging out with a bunch because she was there. Yeah. Everyone was there. There was a Linklater movie going on and a Rodriguez movie going on yours. And then there was Judge's movie going My on. My God. What a fruitful time for the film industry in Austin. The Four Seasons lobby looked like the holding area to go into the Oscars. Like, was it like the Sutton place in Vancouver? Have you ever been to the Sutton place? I haven't, but I've heard great stories. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's like that common space where every, like a million productions are happening at oh, the same the time. The Sutton place is the Oakwood for adults <laughs> in Canada. It, it is. In Vancouver, it <laughs> certainly is. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do wish, because I know other actors that were stationed there in their 20s on movies stationed. or, or it on is, shows. It, it sounds like a tour of duty. <laughs> it, well, it kind of is. Yeah, and there's so <laughs> much bed hopping going on between all oh, the actors on wow. these different TV shows, which I absolutely love because it's kind of what you hope would happen. But a bunch of young, beautiful <laughs> people. The stories you want to hear, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's like a reality show, like stick them all in this hotel and see what see happens. See what happens, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's an explosion of a fervor of sexual tension and activity. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'm sad I never stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> but Austin, Texas, sorry. Austin, Texas. Yeah. What is happening down there? People get so mad when we talk about it on the show, too, because they're like, enough fucking people live here. Stop talking about how great it is. But for me, it's the lakes, the barbecue, yep. the liberal hillbillies, yep. grass growing out of the sidewalks, yep. manhole covers, each unique and stamped in a different time period. I mean, yep. I fucking love it. Yeah, the pools. In fact, when you and I were both working there in 2004, I guess mm -hmm. it would have been, I was looking at houses that were for sale on Lake Austin. That would have been a good time to buy. <laughs> oh, baby. You could get a house on two acres, like a 5,000 square foot house on two acres for 750 Fuck yeah, you could. And I was like, mm. is, Not this, no is this my move? Like, I'm in an apartment in LA, one bedroom apartment, but should I just go all in on Austin? And fuck, I wish I had done that. There isn't a house on that lake under $4 million now. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a city that really reveals itself to you very quickly. Some cities are elusive, I find. I find LA oh, to be yeah. extremely elusive. Mm. It's too spread out. It's really hard to get your head around it if you're not from here. Austin, you land, you get to the city, and you're like, oh, I know what this is. I get a feel for this. I get a sense of the people. It feels like a small town, but it has everything I want out of a big yeah. city. It has a huge amount of self-expression mm -hmm. and identity true unto itself, Yeah, which is so special and unique. Yeah. The food is sick. So it's just like, it's instant. Every year I would visit, and I was like, what the fuck? Why don't I live here? I did live there for oh, a while. You, you I did? had a place for five or six years. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, just south of the river. So oh, like okay. South First and Mary Street was kind of around where I was. Bolden Creek. Barton Springs was literally a four-minute drive for me. Oh, wonderful. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can do much more than build a website. You can also sell custom merch. Guys, this is what we do on Squarespace. We have a merch team, and we offer it all on a website beautifully built by Wobby Wob on Squarespace. Simply design your products, and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you. With Squarespace, it doesn't matter what you sell, physical goods, digital products, services, they have all the tools you need to start selling online. Just take one of their professional website templates, then customize the look, update the content, and add features to fit your unique needs. You can make any Squarespace template do what you want so you can stand out online on any device. For a free trial, just head to squarespace.com DAX. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code DAX to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Mm, ZipRecruiter. 
With St. Patty's Day around the corner, here's a random fun fact. The chances of finding a four-leaf clover are 1 in (gasps) 10,000. Yeah, very limited edition. You'd have to be pretty lucky to find one. Almost as lucky as Kristen finding a parking spot. Mm. There's always one right at the front somehow. Fortunately, if you're hiring, you don't need luck to find top talent. You just need ZipRecruiter. And you can try it free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. No rainbows or gimmicks. ZipRecruiter leads you to a pot of gold, a.k.a. top talent, every time. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology starts showing you quality candidates immediately. You can also invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. If you're even just a bit curious about how ZipRecruiter can help you, today's your lucky day. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Once again, try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Tap the banner to learn more. We are supported by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Monica, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? I want to say I would write and read my New Year's resolution. Yeah, Uh, I would too. That would be the same. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities. So you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot DAX. I have an interesting question. Wait, I shouldn't congratulate myself on the question. Um, I have a question. <laughs> I'm going to quantify what kind of question this is. I well, what, the reason I refer to it as interesting <laughs> is it's shocking to me. I have I never can say thought of this question before. So this is a novel question. Cool. You're interested to hear the answer to this question. Big time, right? big time. That's what we're Because here's what I'm wondering. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out anyway, don't worry. Yeah, just cut the whole fucking thing. What do we got, about two that usable Austin, minutes That right Austin now? part's completely gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, soup to nuts, <laughs> Austin's gone. So here's my question that I can't believe I've never thought to ask a child actor is, so much of your youth is kind of defining your identity. And when you have such a clear-cut identity from like eight years old, like I'm an actor, I act, that's what I do, I'm interested in movies. Mm -hmm. What happens then at like 18? It's a great question. Oh my God. It's a very interesting question. It is a very interesting interesting. question. (laughs) Let's just leave it as a question. I think what you're getting at is at the core of, I think some of the difficulty that people have navigating life from being a child actor to being an adult actor. and, And just- being an actor young, period, mm-hmm. is that sense of identity. Yeah. Because I often get asked, how did I make it unscathed? How are you 40 now? I can attribute to a few things, but one of them that always comes back in my mind is identity. And from a very young age, for me personally, my mom was really far more concerned with raising me as a good human and especially being very humble. She didn't yeah. want me to 
accept special treatment to sort of have any elevated sense of self. Can I pause you for half a second yeah. so people understand? Because this is relevant. Yeah. Often a child is the most important part of this 200-person endeavor. And unless a child is dumb, a child realizes that at some point. Because I watched it. I've worked with kids. Yeah. They can't help but notice like, oh, wow, all these people are here facilitating. Like, they're going to like that. And they built this. And the prop guy brought this and blah, blah, blah. And, and now that was all for me to say this. There's a reality to their importance that's there. Yeah. That's undeniable. Sure. And unless you're a dumbass, you're going to notice that. Sure. And then so you really need some guidance at that point. Like when you recognize I'm the most important part of this whole thing, sure. and not even in an arrogant way, in a reality way, Sure, that's a dicey thing to juggle as a it, kid. It is. It totally is. Yeah. And it's, I think, quite easy for your sense of self and your identity to be overly attached to what other people are saying you are. Sure. How you fit into the greater universe in terms of your public persona. All of those influence or can define your sense of self. Mm -hmm. For me, again, I had a mother who was so, so concerned with me keeping a level head on my shoulders, being really humble, not accepting special treatment. So it's all these things incrementally that sort of created, I think, a worldview and perspective that uh -huh. grew and I grew into as I got older. But there was a strong sense of reality and compartmentalizing the work I was doing as an actor and the life that I had on the side of that. Mm -hmm. And that defined me as much as, as what I was doing. Sure. And of course, that grows. Your sense of self continues to evolve. I certainly didn't have a fully formed sense of self at the age of eight or nine. <laughs> yeah, 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 That's yeah. an evolution. And it was defined by a lot of things. It was defined by travel and work and being exposed to different kinds of people and different jobs. Like I had a very unique child experience and childhood in comparison to what one would call normal, but it was normal to me. Of course. You know, it's the only one you knew. Yeah. I think a, even a more specific question that I could have asked was so much of one's life is dedicated to figure out what they're going to do to the support future. themselves. The future. Like as a career, right. right? So that's such a big chunk of your thoughts, what you're exploring as you leave high school and all this stuff, or you go to college or you get out of college. So that is an interesting dynamic that the decision you're going to make at 18, I'd imagine, is like, it's not career oriented. Certainly you're going to try to pick good movies and stuff, but that you've already established that you've been doing that for 10 years. Yeah. That is your livelihood. So that's off the table. So now it's really just like, who am I going to be in life? What do I want to explore and see? Am I into music? Am I into yeah. this? Like, that's really all that's out there that you need to decide at that point. That's so interesting. Yeah. That, and that's it, kind of unique. It is unique. It distills all those things down to self-definition, not by career and having the stress of figuring out what that career is going to be. It's yeah. True. There's still certainly stresses with that because there's ebbs and flows to one's individual career. Like even you, if you've established that 10 years oh, or 20 years prior or whatever. You it's know? a brutal fucking business. <laughs> you know, you can yeah, be sure. Burt Reynolds in 88. You can be know. Macaulay Culkin, Burt that, Reynolds. That's right. That's yeah. right. Either or. Did you have any fantasies of like, by the way, I would find this so tempting because of my insecurity. So if I had your exact trajectory, mm -hmm. I think around 18, I'd be going... They think I'm dumb. Like, they think ac actors are dumb. I'm going to go to Harvard. <laughs> like, I could have seen myself wanting to prove I was something else. I'm going to really shock these motherfuckers. I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> I didn't, but I definitely, at a certain stage when I was in high school, had aspirations to go to university. Okay. My fantasy was to get into Columbia somehow and live in New York yeah, and have yeah. that experience. 
and major in English and just have a full collegiate experience in the city. And that just fascinated me. And I loved New York and loved New York. And that didn't happen. I actually did not graduate from high school. Okay, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) I like I was in homeschool pretty young Uh because school, like public schools weren't super psyched about the fact that I was traveling a lot. So I ended up doing a correspondence with a school based out of Ojai that was sort of doing that online schooling kind of in its infancy. Oh my God, at the very beginning. Yeah. So I did that and I was traveling and working And I had finished, I think, my junior year. I had already completed all of my math requirements. Like I'd completed a lot of the essentials. The course. And Mm. my teacher was kind of like, you could sort of make your own curriculum for the senior year. (laughs) And I just kind of let it go. (laughs) And and, and it even got to the point, I mean, bless her, she was so lovely. She she was like, how about this? Let's just write a paper (laughs) comparing your experience in Lord of the Rings, making it to the books and like, let that be your giant last thing and then I'll I'll graduate you. And I didn't. I didn't do it. I got too overwhelmed in New Zealand working. And it's just the title. That's all that's left is like a diploma. And so I guess it's like, it's evolved to be like, I don't need that. There were certainly periods of time where I regretted it and wish that I'd gotten a GED just to sort of say, like, I did it. I get the sort of credit. You're not missing anything. That's what I ultimately recognized was that I was getting so much out of life and I was fortunate enough to have a life that afforded me the opportunity to travel and have these experiences that were continually educational and fulfilling. But I thought, I'm not really missing out on anything. I couldn't agree more. You'd be in a social studies class learning about New Zealand (laughs) or be in New Zealand. Or be in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How old were you when you got that? I was 18. Okay. Yeah. So Kristen and I were watching an interview with you. I think maybe like a GQ interview you did or something. You were talking about what you had done to get that role. Yeah. Self-taping wasn't really a thing. He had to go read the script at the casting director's office. That would have been the ask, yeah. Yeah, and then you went and shot your audition, like actually shot it in locations in Griffith Park and stuff. Yep. And then went and dropped off this tape, converted it to VHS, down converted <laughs> from three quarter probably uh, to half inch. <laughs> dropped it off. VHS, that's crazy. <laughs> I know you. VHS. I remember you giggled when you said VHS. I liked it. Anyways, Kristen goes. What's that gum? Oh, it's nicotine lozenges. Do you want one? No, I'm okay. Former smoker. 16 years ago, I quit, yeah. 16 <laughs> yeah. years. But I love nicotine. I'm never, ever going to be off of it. Really? Oh, you were a smoker? Yeah. You've never 20, done any... 20 years I was a smoker. 20 years, good yeah. on you. And, and your skin is beautiful. Three years non-smoking come Christmas Eve. Okay. Yeah. And you never have tried so any I didn't kind mean of to nicotine, no. nicotine supplements? Never did. I went to a hypnotist. The first one was not successful. Like, right. I... Got home, felt very vulnerable. Uh That Talking about identity, that was a huge part of my identity. Couldn't agree more. And to not have that anymore, that was really jarring. Yeah. And I cried, and it was very hard for me. And then I texted the hypnotist, and I said, I think I might need another session. Like, I don't know this is really working. (laughs) I'm smoking and crying. (laughs) You're coming coming back on Monday. And I, like, fished cigarettes out of the bin that had been thrown away. and And ultimately, like... I fell off the wagon, but I was like, fuck it. I'll just smoke through the weekend. Yeah. And then I went to that session and I haven't had a cigarette since. You're wow. kidding. No. Okay, really quick. How often would you go to 7-Eleven and buy a pack of cigarettes and pull one out and light it and then throw the pack in the trash never. can? You never did that? Never did it. We had some <laughs> herbal cigarettes around the house. Okay. Brown bear herbs. The like kind you smoke a in a movie? 
Yeah, or there's like these companies that almost have like a wellness aspect of it. Oh, okay. Which seems yeah, a little yeah. dubious. I, I don't know how <laughs> sure, sure, healthy sure. any of that is. Uh, but I don't know that herbs is... Burnt it's herbs still in your smoke lungs. In your yeah. Life. yeah. But we had some of those because we would sort of smoke those occasionally. And so I had like two or three of those. Yeah. Just to have that sort of smoke oral experience. But it wasn't the same because there's no nicotine. Yeah. And that was it. I never... Now is that? Never went and bought like... And do you feel like there are any skills you had that are now diminished? No. Okay. There are patterns that I don't have anymore. There are rituals. As a smoker, you mm. you can relate. Talk about that morning thing, man. Yeah, That's, that yeah. was a Ooh. huge part of it and not to have it. So that first year of quitting was getting used to all of the things that I was used to having a cigarette associated with, not having a cigarette there anymore. So like the first international flight, the first cocktail out, like all these little minor moments that had all been defined or had been in conjunction with smoking, Mm -hmm. suddenly not anymore. It's a journey. Yeah. Wow. So, it's a journey. So I quit straight up initially. And Amazing. then I had sold a pitch and it was getting time to write this fucking script. And I sat down and I've never once in my life had writer's block. I'm not someone who has writer's block. Oh, wow. And I literally was just staring at my computer for like, I don't know, two hours. Interesting. And I go, huh, I don't think I can write without nicotine. And so I said, I'm going to have to smoke. Like, I got to write this script. I guess I'll quit when I'm done. Yeah. Went to the store to get cigarettes and I, and then just thought, you know what, fucking try those lozenges, at least get the lozenges, come back, see if it works. And if not, go get a pack of cigarettes. And I did that. And then I've been on lozenges for whatever, 16 and it years. Yeah, I sat down and was like, oh yeah, big time, big time. Incredible. I mean, whether that's psychosomatic, I mean, obviously it does have actual effects on your brain. Sure. So, but I just, I couldn't write without it. So I was wondering if there's anything that you like don't do period anymore because of it. No. 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 Just loiter at coffee shops you don't do anymore. Yeah. Well, it's weird. <laughs> it's funny because it, it removes you from ones. Because oftentimes as a smoker, you're told it's an antisocial drug. And I'm like, no, it's so social. What are you yeah. talking about? I am literally smoking with other people. It's social for smokers. <laughs> yeah. So what I found kind of freeing, one of the liberating aspects of it was I could now engage in conversations that I kept taking myself out of. Right. That's so true. Because you, you would have that that sort of like a tapping on your shoulder all the time every 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, go outside. And you'd go outside and I would remove myself from a conversation yeah. every time. Yeah. And now I found, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to yeah. go outside for anything. Well, yeah. quite often you'll be like if New York or something and you're looking outside and it's fucking 10 degrees out there and people right. are just choking back darts and I'm like, oh my God, thank God I don't do it's that. Great. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's torturous. Great. I still envy it. I still Certain walk around ones. people. To me, smoke. if it rains... Those are the only days where I'm like, fucking hey. I want to drive around in a car with the window cracked. Cozy. So cozy. Oh my God, the coziest. <laughs> yeah, really cozy. Let's, let's go grab a pack no. of fucking camel lights and see what's happening. <laughs> they don't even have my brand anymore, I don't think. What, what was your brand? Camel light. Oh, it was camel. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. How about you? Ultimately landed on American, American Spirit, Spirit yeah. orange, the sort of ultralights. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Don't say American Spirit. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to smoke a, I don't know. They what's wrong with that? That is less the angle. Less tar and chemicals. There's, there's less chemicals in oh. it. Oh. But people always, they would smoke that and they would be very proud that it has less chemicals. And I'd be like, you're fucking smoking, man. Smoking. Get some camels. And, yeah. it, it, so get the full flavor. Get a camel light <laughs> and fucking bang it. Amazing. What are we talking about? Amazing. It's like half having sex or something. <laughs> Just fucking go for it. It was a flavor thing for me too. You did like that flavor. I just I didn't like those American spirits. I get it. Yeah. They burnt weird, dude. They burnt slow. slow. That means slow. you're outside, like, enjoying yeah. that shit. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It wasn't quick. Your smoke break was long, because I got to finish this. That's true. <laughs> but sometimes I fucking line up, too. That won't stop me. That's true. Yeah. 
That's true. <laughs> two to your one. How many were you smoking a day? A pack a day. Sure. On average. That's the, where you should be. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you'd read stories, like I think watching Hearts of Darkness, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I made Monica watch. Oh, it's incredible. So <sighs> what a doc. Oh my God. That's Fascinating all, it's all, In a weird way, it's better than the movie, but it, the movie's great, but it, that doc is everything. Well, the story of making sometimes, sometimes is better than the thing that it yields. Yeah. Especially that For one. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, you had Martin Sheen mm-hmm. reportedly smoking four packs a day. Fuck. And when you do the math, you're basically Whoa. like, you're lit. <laughs> the whole day, I you're just fucking that. lit. Because on like a day of getting close to two packs, I was done and feeling it the next yeah. day, you know? Well, right. If you get hammered, I would put back a pack and a half from like nine sure. o'clock till two in the morning. Oh. And I wake up in the morning and be like, <gasps> I mean, just terrible. He had a heart attack. He did. He had a heart attack in his 40s. He did. On On the the, movie. On the film. (laughs) And the the person in the doc, the person who's on the phone reporting that the heart attack had taken place to Coppola (laughs) is one of our producers on Lord of the Rings. Oh, really? Yeah. One of our producers on Rings was working on Apocalypse Now, and I can't remember to what capacity, like... He was someone's assistant. He wasn't a producer a yet. Right. He was the guy reporting but, when heart attacks happened on set. <laughs> and he he called him, and I feel like the response was like, he dies when I tell him to die or something. Like, it was a crazy <laughs> yes, response. Yes, he, he had lost you perspective. Know. Oh, everybody had. I know. think maybe my favorite part of that documentary is like, it's just chaos, right? So they're in the Philippines. There's a fucking typhoon. They're like, working with the military, but the military's also got some military operations in the middle of the shots they're oh my performing. God. Oh my it's God, just I'm chaos. The so fucking crazy. lead actors had a heart attack. You got a 15-year-old Lawrence. Oh, oh, Fishburne. Fishburne. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Was he like a 15-year-old kid down there, like, smoking hashish and going to prostitutes? I mean, it's it's a circus. Yeah. <laughs> the movie gets shut down because of this typhoon. Cut to, they're in Napa Valley. It's like a Fitzgerald party. Like, everyone's wow. dressed to the gills. They're at Coppola's winery. And you're like, they just left that jungle. Now they're here in this, like, kind of crazy Fitzgerald party. It's kind of like in the Redux when they go to the French villa and yeah, they have yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah, wine yeah. and cheese and yes. that surreal, like, they've left the jungle and the nightmare and they're in this, like, unrealistic oasis. oasis. Of, yeah. Yes, that's yeah, yeah, what yeah. it felt like. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, they're all panicked. Everything's in a shit shambles. It's I, ruined. My God. And they have this beautiful outdoor party and everyone's happy as hell. I love it. Regroup. Mm. <laughs> Okay, so I was wondering. Yes, I waylaid us with the cigarette thing. No, you didn't. I was just curious. No, No, you didn't. The number one question people have is like, what is Elijah's smoking routine? And now we know. (laughs) Now we know. Okay, so here's what it appeared happened from my perspective. You did Lord of the Rings. And then I feel like I noticed you're like, you know what? That's a lot. I'm going to go do independent stuff. I'm going to do small stuff. And I was wondering, at least on paper, that's what happened. You kind of redirected into some more smaller movies with sure. artistic directors and whatnot. Sure. Was that decision driven by anything in particular? Kind of. I think at the onset, when Rings was first coming out, and certainly once the first movie had come out and was as successful as it was, I think to combat whatever potential typecasting that could occur, it's all yeah. in theory at that stage. Sure. I thought, well, as long as I continue working on things that are really different, and I think my impulse was, yes, let's do something super tiny. Yeah. Just both in contrast to the experience I just had in a way, like I remember it was a movie called Ash Wednesday, the very first thing I did. Is that an Irish movie? It was. It was Ed Burns, filmmaker, writer, actor, incredible. 
he had this film that was like partially scripted, but it was also, there was an improvisational element to it, I think as well, if I remember correctly. Yes, another Irish-American story. And it was a tiny commitment. Like, I think the bulk of my work was in a week and a half. Oh my gosh. It was a tiny, tiny thing. Yeah. And I thought, incredible. Like, there's not going to be a long makeup process. I'm in and out. It's in New York. I get to work with this director and writer who I really admire and just on this like barest of bare, bare bones productions. And that was thrilling to me because it was such a contrast because I was also, I think, physically and emotionally and psychically exhausted by 16 months of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It, it was the greatest experience of my life, but it was also like, whoo, coming out of that was exhausting. Yeah. So it was it was initially like, yeah, I want to work on something tiny, something very different. And then it was just I knew that as long as I continued to work and work on things that were different, I I was going to avoid this sort of or at least hopefully avoid that over association with rings. Mm -hmm. So then it just became wanting to work on things that I cared about and found it interesting. It wasn't a response to that level of fame. Not really. It wasn't. No, it was more just wanting to continue to work and to keep working on things that were quite different mm -hmm. as a means of of just challenging myself but also keeping my career going so that I wasn't just sort of doing the one thing I guess right but no it wasn't really a size thing because I think had something come along mm -hmm. that was on a studio level or was on a larger scale I would have been open to that I don't think that I was eschewing studio films to just simply take an independent path. Okay, right. Although it clearly looks but that way, I get it. you did have the goal of maintaining your career. Yeah. Yeah. So then you end up in, oh God, I don't want to say, it's not my favorite movie, but it's the only movie that makes me cry, which is Eternal Sunshine. Oh, I love that mm. film. What a fucking a movie. Oh, I love that movie. film so much. And in fact, I think that's where I came up with that opinion. I think I saw you there. I was like, oh, this guy was just the lead of the biggest movie ever made. And now he's in this movie. This is fantastic. I wonder why. Right. Well, for me, like, I'll, I'll never forget speaking to my then agent on the phone. She called and she said, I have a script here that's a Charlie Kaufman script that Michelle Gondry is going to direct. And I remember the impulse was to, like, pull over. Uh -huh. I was like, what the fuck? I don't even, I feel like I don't even need to read it. Let me yeah. just, I'll do anything for them. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that is a perfect reflection of where my head was, which mm. is just, I'm moved by exciting artists. And Kaufman, I'd seen everything he'd done at that stage. Yeah. Loved his Most writing. exciting writer in that Incredible. time period. Still, I think, one of the greatest screenwriters of all time, yeah. certainly from a perspective of having a voice that is uniquely entirely his own. And then Michelle Gondry from Music Videos, and they had made a movie before together, and I'd seen that. What one was that? Human Nature. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Patricia Arquette's in there? Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. It's yeah. super fun and weird. Yeah, big time weird. And so just like, that was such a galvanizing moment of like, I just want to work on weird art with yeah. people that I think are incredible and that I admire. And that's such a good example of that. Yeah, so what was the vibe on a Michelle Gondry movie? I bumped into him Fun one time. And, and I, was, I was with Will Arnett. He's French? Yeah, he's fine. And he came up to Will Arnett and I, and he was like, oh my God, let's go to prison. This movie is the greatest movie ever. This terrible movie. Well, it's not terrible, but whatever. Tiny movie Will and I made for $2 million about us being in prison. And either he is the best actor in the world, or by God, he really loved that fucking movie. And Will <laughs> and I really walked away that. going like, how, how could that be the thing he loves? Let's go to prison. Anyways. I love that. But yeah, he just seems like a very whimsical, playful, fun. Is. And it was times feeling unsettled. I remember the first week 
not knowing when he was rolling was pretty common. <laughs> sure, oh, sure. Wow. <laughs> so you sort of were like a little unsteady on your feet in a kind of wonderful way if yeah. you like accepted that. And he would just play with stuff. Like I remember scenes he would come up to me and Mark Ruffalo and say, okay, I'm not telling Kirsten this, but you guys <laughs> are just going to laugh the whole time. Oh, so don't wow. say any of your dialogue. Oh, wow. She's going to try and keep the scene alive, but you guys just laugh. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and that would happen all the time. Like a lot of deconstructionist stuff. Yeah. And really wild, fun ideas. But also his inventiveness, a lot of what you see on screen is in camera. So a lot of yeah. the trickery, we didn't have to rely so much on CG. It was a lot of in-camera weirdness mm-hmm. and inventive creations. He was really known at that time for having sort of almost homemade aesthetic. Yeah, A lot of his yeah. music videos were all homemade. So it, he carried that with him in the production design. And so you're seeing There's the whimsy of that and the, and the creation of it happen in front of you. Mm. And it was just a joy. We were all like you're right. That's just to be working with this kind of weird French maestro. Yeah, the low fineness of it all kind yeah. of really anchored it in childhood. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, that movie, boy, I fucking... John Bryan? Oh, my God, the score is so good. And Jim Carrey is so good in the film. He's so fucking good in it. And so good. Yeah, Kate Winslet, the cast was just insane. And I think everybody felt... Ruffalo? Yeah, crazy. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.5% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA member FDIC. Terms apply. We are supported by The Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, The Defender 110 is up for adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. For a start, the exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender 110's legendary capability lets you go further and do more, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Its durability has been tested to the extreme. It can handle your equipment too, as the cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Explore with greater confidence with powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display, an award-winning infotainment system, and innovative camera technologies. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. We are supported by Viator. When you're traveling, you want to get there and experience something new and fun. Like recently, I went off-roading on a Mexico vacation. Got to some locations we would have never gotten to otherwise. Got to see a huge waterfall. It was heaven. If you want to make your next trip memorable, you need to visit Viator. It's a website and app that'll help you book fun experiences and adventures all over the world. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences in over 190 countries. Like, now this is something I would do, a tour of Rome's gems on a vintage Vespa. I mean, how else are you going to find that? Or how about a Jeep jungle tour if you're heading to Punta Cana? Fun. 
Another reason Viator is so great is it has 24-7 service, and you need that when you're on vacation with time zone differences and everything else. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use the code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. That's Viator, V-I-A-T-O-R, with the number 10. I just now remembered because you said music video director. You want to hear one of the most exciting little tidbits about Elijah's Please. career? <laughs> Always. He was in a Paula Abdul video. Oh. That's not the headline. Okay. Who directed that video, Elijah? It was directed by David Fincher. No. A David Paula Fincher, Abdul? Paula Abdul video. Well, How, he, he started in music that? videos and advertising prior to, to yeah. directing that films. That is crazy. As a lot of people did. Yeah, he was an incredible music video director. Was he still do, was he doing what he does now, which is like four hundred no. takes <laughs> for no. a music video? I feel video? like I would have remembered that as a kid. I don't remember there being a crazy amount of takes. Wow. Do you remember him at all? I don't remember him. Yeah, yeah. So I don't remember. I remember her. I remember the set. I remember a lot of these sort of elements are clear in my memory, but I don't remember him. No. Uh-huh. Wow! Yeah. I, did, I met with him years and years and years and years ago, and we briefly sort of mentioned <laughs> touched that. on that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. That funny. is great. What a so fun funny. thing to share. I know he lives around here. Does he? In this He's neighborhood. incredible. What a oh my god! I couldn't be in one of his things, mind you. He'd never hire me, <laughs> but I love watching. Oh, it. I, I love know. his films, and I would have a hard time being. a a part of something so meticulous because it's just against my nature. I like that. Yeah, I could see you like. I that. like it. I think it's funny because I think sometimes I've spoken to actors who have worked on films directed by people with a very heavy hand or a meticulous way of shooting, mm-hmm. and their response was, "I didn't have autonomy. I didn't feel like I had my space to do my thing because it was so rigid." Yeah. I kind of love that, though. Interesting. I love space to work, but I also like rigidity if it's in service of something that I think is going to be great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm inserting myself and my parameters are tight, Mm -hmm. I'll work within those parameters. If I can understand where the vision's going and Mm. it's, I can see it and that's exciting, fuck yeah. I think that's interesting. It's almost like at its highest level, it's like physical ADR or something. (laughs) Yeah, again, and I can't stand just, ADR. I love ADR. Because I, I, I like the technicality of it. I, know. I think it's it's technical, and I get off on the rhythm of it. The and precision. The, and the precision, I find mm-hmm. that fun. Are you OCD at all? Minorly. Minorly. Yeah. Okay. Minorly. Because aesthetically, you're very put together. You're very tight. You're very in shape. <laughs> very your Euro. skin is very clear. <laughs> uh, the white of your eyes is fucking intimidating. Oh, Dax is really impressed I'm by whites of eyes. Whites of eyes, yeah. lights of eyes it, specifically. It's a thing, yeah. 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 But maybe you like that because it's something achievable. Like That's in interesting. this industry you don't have very much of that it's like acting is so subjective and like maybe i did a good job maybe i didn't do a good job maybe it was real maybe it <laughs> wasn't real. i still go through that yeah oh yeah all but the time in like an adr session if you do it perfectly you're like i you know i did it you know and you know it. it matches perfectly that's a really good analogy i think you're right 
Yeah. I think you're right. And I do love that feeling of ADR specifically of like... You want something the, definitive. The, the challenge, knowing what I have to do, working within that and, and doing it. Yeah. So people and definitively it, knowing that it was successful. Yeah. I should have said this right at the beginning. ADR is when you oh, yeah. something has gone wrong with the audio on the day you were filming. So they bring you in, they show the scene up on a big screen, and you literally have to match perfectly your mouth moving and re-say the lines, which... I have all kinds of objections to. One, <laughs> I'm not even there with the other actor. Yeah. Like, I'm in a fucking... Oh, movie. I mean, you the, had me, yeah, had the, the conditions the are not... <laughs> I could have done the whole movie in a telephone booth? Is sure. that how important Do you want to hear was? something fucked up? Tell me. Lord of the Rings, oh. every line of dialogue. No! <laughs> no. uh Every single word no. spoken in Lord of the Rings. We shot... Oh, my no. God. We recorded audio, and our, our on-set on <laughs> audio was great. Our team was incredible, but... We always knew, and I didn't know this during production, but once we started our ADR, it was like, oh, fuck, we, oh, we're doing everything. <laughs> oh, um, oh they God. shot guide track because of how many elements that were uncontrollable. For instance, the, the wind and water, wind, and water, any SFX elements that were making noise on set, motion controlled cameras made oh, noise, whining right. noise. The iteration of Stone Street Studios at that time was. They weren't soundproofed. Okay. So they, it was an old paint factory with mm -hmm. tin roofs. So if it rained, that was loud and <laughs> That deafening. was our spot too, by the way. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was just all these outside elements that they knew they didn't have control over that they were like, we'll just shoot with the best audio we can get. And it was great. Sure. But I think for continuity purposes... There may have been scenes that were absolutely salvageable and perfect, but, but I think they for, no longer would have matched the sound. From of a them. continuity mm. perspective, they just did everything. But I have to say, it turned into a new artistic process because we were able to look at our performances and kind of go, "Okay, that's it." You almost get a rewrite, which was lovely. I kind of loved that. I mean, it's a little masochistic because you're, <laughs> you're just hour upon hour. Because in addition to the dialogue, you're also just doing all the breaths and the efforts and the you oh, know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Oh my God, it had to be weeks of ADR. For everything? Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my but God. for each actor, it was probably twice. a number of days for everything, for I each film. I remember I was on the show Parenthood. My character had been estranged from his fiance. They're dealing with this. They share a kid. And then she asks him to marry her at some point. They finally get back together after seasons of keeping us apart. And there's a rain machine. And I literally, my first thought is like, we're going to do this. I'm going to feel this. And we're not going to hear a goddamn thing. And I'm going to go in and say all this into a microphone. Like the scene about love and unrequited and finally rejoining stuff that just happened. Yeah. I can't do that on command. I need joy. Yeah. I need the whole thing. That is the challenge. Yeah. That is the real, <laughs> real challenge. It's hard. hard. No, that that it shit's is. hard. I it don't want to make light of it. it it's when you oh. have to get to an emotional place and recreate an emotional. It feels bastardized because so much to me. of what you're getting, you're right, is happening in front of you and energy in the moment on the day. Yeah, yeah. Is a, in that physicality, and and that is a very hard thing to re recreate. And to your point, where in yours as well, which is we've all left set going like, I don't know if I gave them what they needed. Happens you know? all the time. Happens all the time. I've also left going like, I was great, and then I was average. So my worst scenes are sometimes my best. Blah blah blah. <laughs> sure. But that scene, I was like. I left you were already up. resenting it midway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck this. We were also it's about, not going to matter. We were also about like 150 feet from that overlook at Universal onto the 101. Mm -hmm. So it's just like this most important thing. You see like, <laughs> and the fucking rain machine. And oh, that's, 
It's so brutal. Oh, but anyways, brutal. I drove home that day, you know, going like, that was a beautiful scene, man. I, I'm really glad that turned out the way it did. And I felt all the things and she felt all the things. And then I'm like, you know, and then I got to go Did you? fake it. Yeah, I had oh, to you go did. do you the whole to. fucking thing. And I was I'm such, surprised you weren't like, I'm not doing oh, it. Oh, I tried but, that route. I tried, okay. Yeah, you know I will me. I say that <laughs> what you're doing, the expression you're making, the choices you're making physically, that's all preserved. Yeah. It's yeah. just... Yeah. Getting the nuance of the voice to fit. Yeah. You know, and match it. And look, my wife, I watched her do ADR and it's maddening. I mean, they'll do another. Is she just a machine? She's a robot. She's an ADR robot. I I mean, she's an acting robot in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see that Mm. about her. And she'll literally go, show me once. And then she does it absolutely perfect. And they're like, I guess we should do a second for safety. But every second is for safety. She doesn't ever need a second one. I love it. It's, it's like a precision drummer that can like actually overdub. Uh-huh. You hear that about Dave Grohl. He can actually overdub drums, which is a really hard thing to do. Because if you do a drum track, to actually play that again on top of that drum track, yeah. exactly hitting oh, it wow. at the same time, yeah. that's like Almost a robotic impossible. thing. Yeah. It's the he can do it. He double tracks his drums. Wow. It's the equivalent has. of having perfect pitch. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, do you it's, play the drums? I mess around with drums. Hey, me too. I mess around with a lot of instruments. It's you do. kind of one of the great, not great regrets of my life. I don't have a lot of regrets, but one of them is I never took an instrument and stuck with it. Right. It's like I played piano when I was young, at various times took lessons, but I got bored with practicing or whatever it was. Yeah. I think I just wanted to play, was always my thing. I was impatient. Of course. Yeah. And so I stopped and I never took guitar lessons. So I, it's like, I love music. I have an ear, I think, for it. Uh-huh. So I can mess around, Yeah, but I can't play anything well. This is identical. So I played the guitar at a two. I've been playing it for 20 years. Okay. I refuse to take a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> you can self-teach, and I just haven't gone far enough. But yeah. You know, I can play some songs. I can play right. Sweet Home Alabama. I can fucking, I can right. fuck around and make you can do melodies I, to myself. More than I can. <laughs> okay, so I consider myself a two on the guitar, and I'm a four drummer. Dope. Yeah. Do you have a set at home? Down right below us is Amazing. a beautiful DW kit. Right. Yeah, you would be welcome and invited to bang around on. Thanks. How did you end up Wait, having... real quick, hold on. Oh, Do you sorry. sing? Oh. I think I can hold a tune, but not well. I have terrible range. Like, I think I have a real... Mm-hmm. There's like a sweet Narrow. spot that yeah. works, but beyond that, high look, I can't. So it's... But I think musical know. people are better at... ADR. Oh, well, Kristen in particular. <laughs> I think yeah, you're she, right. Because it's rhythmic. It's matching tone. Like, I think it's the same part of your brain I think you're that right. retrieves sound in a musical way. I think you're right. Because it is musicality, especially if you're recreating yeah. the, the line exactly as exactly. you said it and not changing it. Because you're having to fit the rhythm of it and the musicality of it. It's the, like singing. Yeah. It's like singing a, yeah. a line out of a song. This just reminded me, you said you saw Idiocracy? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Love that. So the studio was like, this is unacceptable, his character. Like, what are we doing? What is he doing? Like, me, my character. What, what is, what's that speech impediment he has? You know, like, this is so distracting. It's why the movie's testing so terribly. Like, oh they were convinced oh it was it was all me. And I believed them. I was like, that, that was New Line, right? Was that? Was it New Line? It was Fox. Sure? It was Fox, okay. Yeah. Because I remember there was a lot of controversy about that movie. <laughs> there sure was. <laughs> There's conspiracy theories and everything. But at some moment, it just sat on a shelf for like two years I maybe. Know. I remember. Yeah. And so at one point, they're like, you got to fix this, Mike. So Mike, he's like, they want you to redo all the dialogue. Uh, they're going to make us try this. So I was like, okay. So I went in there, man. A good Mike Judge. <laughs> Dax, do you want to go get some eggs? <laughs> he would call me occasionally. <laughs> it was wonderful. But- I go in there, man, and I start. There's nothing without that. 
crazy voice I'm doing. Yeah. And we did about an hour of it, and I looked at him, and I was like, I don't know how you feel about it, but this is about the worst moment I've ever had in show business. He's like, yeah, it's terrible. Okay, so we tried, and then we just laughed. We tried, and it was ridiculous. Because you're then, doing your normal voice. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you like money? I like money, too. Oh. Go away, Baton. Oh, God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Can you imagine if that's what the character was doing? Oh, my God. Yeah, so. I I'm, love that you tried it and that you both were like. Oh, only because of Mike Judge. I promise you, like, had it been anyone else who I wasn't in love with, I would have been like, fire me or sue me or whatever. But there's no way I'm going to try to unravel that character. I barely did it the first time. I'm not going to try to. Yeah. Whatever. Amazing. Yeah, so that was one of my ADR experiences. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Your new movie, you play an FBI agent. It is no Man of God. No Man of God. Is it on a streaming? It is now on streaming platforms, yeah. It is, because I think I saw it's it. On, it's for rental. It's yeah. for rental, great. Mm -hmm. Like iTunes or whatever. Yeah. So is that I've even called iTunes anymore? It's Apple TV. I call it iTunes. I still do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. Put it on your iPod and watch it. Right? <laughs> oh, iPods. I miss iPods. I know. My daughter has one, and she calls it her iPhone. An iPod Classic or the one with it the It looks screen? like an iPhone, but it's not. It's but an iPod. But she can text on it, though. It has Wi-Fi. The old school iPod. I rejected that were just... the iPod with the screen because to me that was just an iPhone without the phone, yeah. the cellular feature. Well, that's what she's got. Yeah, right. uh, don't tell her that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She thinks she's got a phone. Right. She tells all of her buddies. How old your it's daughter? A phone eight. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She tells them that she's got a phone, yeah. and then they're like, "That's an iPod." She's like, flummoxed. At the same time, <laughs> she doesn't have like a backup lie for that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I still think it's a shame they discontinued the I classic. Know. I do love that old, like heavy as fuck. With the tons wheel. Of metal. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just want a music device. I don't need my music device to take photos or yeah. to have apps. I just need it's music. Fair. It's fair. I have fair. them all. I've got like four or five generations of iPods. Oh, wow. Oh, you kept them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have too many of those things, too. Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten rid of some of them. It's nice to, like, when you're exercising, I just hate when I'm, like, on a run and I'm listening to music and then my texts are coming in and I uh, really want to check it, but I feel like I, like it's stressful. Yeah. It's too much. It's too much. I'm going to find you an old iPod okay. that somehow will still allow you to download music onto <laughs> okay, it. Okay, great. How did this movie come about? Again, I could be wrong, but to me, from the outside, it seems like you're in the catbird seat. Because you've done these huge movies, you're probably financially solvent, and you kind of dance around and do what you want a bit, no? Or are you still neurotic about longevity? I wouldn't say I'm neurotic about Yeah, that was not a nice word to use. Because oh, okay. you haven't proven yourself to be neurotic even earlier. So. Or concerned about it. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. I don't take anything for granted. Right. And I, I think I still know that I need to continue to work to continue to work. Right. But this is sort of a crossroads, this film. I'm a producer on it too. So my life with this movie, my relationship to it for four years was trying to get it made as a producer, not as an actor. Right. So that started six years, five, six years ago, wow. actually in Austin, funnily enough, at Fantastic Fest. The writer of the screenplay was sitting down, knew that my producing partners and I were making genre movies with uh -huh. Spectre Vision, our company. At that point, I think we'd made A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. I don't think we'd made Mandy yet. That was sort of the milieu of the, of the, the kinds of movies that we like were genre movies. And so he was like, I guarantee you're going to love this, but I've written this script about Ted Bundy uh -huh. and his relationship to Bill Hagmeyer, this FBI profiler. And it's largely based on audio transcripts, and it's mainly their conversations. And we're like, what? That sounds incredible. Yeah. Are those publicly available? Or are they like Freedom of Information Act mm -hmm. kind of stuff? No. No. But you've heard that? Have you heard I've that? heard 
interviews. I don't know that I've heard the like audio of those conversations. Right. But I've heard audio interviews with Bill Hagmeyer talking ad nauseum about all of that and yeah. his relationship to, to Bundy in a great detail. And then a ton of Bundy stuff. So like in the film, there are interviews with other investigators looking to get answers from various states to find where some of Bundy's victims might be. There is actual audio of that, and I've heard that stuff. So okay, some so of that's in the film. The movie kind of starts, the audio. if I'm correct, Bundy's already on death row. Yes. And you're trying to hopefully find out if there's more victims, and if so, where their bodies are and whatnot? That's sort of part of it. The FBI had started this profiling division. The movie sort of addresses that. It was in its infancy. It was just starting. Is this the similar story to Manhunter? Mindhunter, Minecraft. Yes. Mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's the same idea, because that deals that with a lot new, of the same right? folks. It was very new. Yeah. Oh because, my God, ding, 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 Fincher. Right. Oh my so what God, they, Paul Abdul. Right. It all goes back to Fincher. <laughs> In establishing the profiling division, they were trying to get at what made these people tick, both serial killers, child molesters, serial rapists, people that were reoffending. what was happening to them psychologically, what made them who they are. And if we gather all this data with these interviews, can we be better equipped to stop it from happening, identify it quicker, all these sorts of things. Yeah, potentially treat, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. Bill was sort of one of these guys at the beginning of this initiative. And various people, they had the option to take whoever criminal they wanted, and he opted for Ted. And mm. what made that unique was that Ted had a pretty serious reputation for not trusting law enforcement, specifically FBI. And that fat chance, like, good luck with that, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, he's not going to talk. So he went down to Florida. He exchanged letters with him initially. And there was an interest on Ted's part to meet. So they arranged a meeting. Bill subsequently, and I talked to Bill a little bit about this, kind of what went into the planning. Like, how do you prepare for that? Yeah. What are you feeling when you walk into that yeah. room? And ultimately, what goes into the preparation, especially knowing what you know about him? And his relationship to law enforcement, you have sort of everything against you at that, at that moment. Sure, you're yeah. starting in a pretty big hole. Yeah. yeah. He spoke to a lot of investigators and people who did not have good times with him or that he didn't trust them and just gathered a lot of information. What not to do. Yeah, sort of. And built kind of a sense of who he was and what he was walking into to kind of emotionally and intellectually prepare for it. This sounds so fun. This sounds like the ultimate interview you got to prepare oh, for. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like how not to trigger this person. Acid. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that went reasonably well. And what they was met, his unique approach? If I'm to sort of define Bill's kind of greatest strength, I think it's that he genuinely doesn't walk in with judgment. Right. So that person feels seen on some level sure as a human rather than this person coming in with an agenda or certainly judgment of what they've done and a mind made up right about who they are mm -hmm. and i think he walks in with an openness curiosity and, and curiosity and yeah. a genuine sense of wanting to understand he's an anthropologist and i think he makes that very clear and that's very disarming it worked time and time again. He is a sort of genius in his field. His reputation is extraordinary. And subsequently, after Bundy, people reached out, like, requested him. Oh, wow. Other because serial because killers. of his success with Bundy and the fact that Bundy well, people considered him, him a him, friend. And, oh, and wow. it, it, it really changed the course of his career in a pretty profound way. And how mm. complicated did it get for him? Like, we interviewed one of the lawyers 
who represented the Epstein victims in Florida. Right. And I said, like, did you ever hang with Epstein? He's like, yeah, I had like several lunches with him. Whoa. And he is a fucking charming guy. And you'd have to kind of like regularly check yourself. Like, like oh, yeah, be this laughing person's at a his monster. Jokes. You know, he's, he's a likable human being. Or our friend David Ferrier, he went down and he interviewed in Colombia uh, Pablo Escobar's main hitman, Popeye. He's killed like 300 people, killed sure. his wife. The guy's fucking likable. And he's sitting there like sure. laughing it up. And then he just blurts out loud. He's like, it's so weird to be laughing with you. You killed your girlfriend. It's yeah. just complicated. Did he have any of those kind of? I think so. I think that was a part of that. I think it's complicated. I don't know that Bill would have considered or say that now that he was friends with Ted. Right. But there was an exchange. There was a human exchange that was unavoidable. And I think, yeah. did he feel something for him as one human to another human? I think he had to. You yeah. spend that kind of time with someone. What starts to strip away is the sort of architecture of the monster that we are told that person is and certainly is in terms of what he did. But that's too easy, by the way. It is. And you separate what someone does from who they are because it's not the whole picture. It's yeah. not everything. And I'm not giving a ton of space to Ted to be sort of appreciated as the human. He was a fucking nightmare <laughs> and, a, sure. and a narcissist and deeply, deeply flawed. I think he was also a psychopath, yeah. a sociopath. Sure, all he was the putting on a skin of a human, but he was also human too. Uh huh. Uh huh. Not literally. Well, that was, that they, was other serial killers. <laughs> well, that's the other great mystery, or it's not a mystery, but I guess it's counterintuitive. Which is, they say we use this word empathy as just a catch-all euphemism mm -hmm. for kindness, but true empathy—the ability to imagine what another person is experiencing and then play to that—is a uniquely strong gift of sociopaths. They're the most empathetic because mm -hmm. they they, can, they know exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah, so I can and imagine can play that role and relate to your expectations empathy. better. Yeah, they know exactly what you want to hear. And so in that respect, I could imagine sitting down with Ted Bundy and him being like incredibly intuitive and charming. Yeah. Because how the fuck else did he lure all these people? Yeah. I don't want to give away the end of the movie, but it yielded results. Did the FBI agent feel like he there achieved some There were some, some results in terms of information. Right. Probably more in the profiling than in the number of bodies, bodies that he would cop to. Right. I, look, Ted was desperately trying to hang on to anything that could stay his execution. And at the end, that became withholding information. That was if his he leverage. Was, yeah. It was believed in his mind, that was it. Like if it was believed that he had the key yeah. to where all these people were and more, and I can be helpful to other cases too, uh -huh. they'll Oof. keep me alive. You know? right. and, that, and he was doing that right up until the end. But he did give some information away. But the sheer like estimated breadth of that I think it far outweighs what he admitted to. Mm. That's the popular opinion. And globally, just theoretically, do you think we can understand? Like, I don't know that no. we can understand Is it possible that. To yeah, get in the I brain think we can intellectually imagine it. Yeah, I don't think we can understand it. I don't think we can put ourselves in that place because we are not capable of thinking that way. Yeah, but I think we can kind of go. I understand what it might mean to think that way. Yeah, do, do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just wonder. If that's knowable, <laughs> like truly, like yeah. someone who has the desire to kill 40 people, I don't know that we'll figure out like what gene it is we could turn off or what. I don't know. I, don't I know. wonder. It's just so out there. But I also think it's a combination of so many things. I don't actually think it's psychopathy on its own or sociopathy. I think it's, it is literally 
those making you susceptible uh-huh. to not feeling regret, not feeling sorry, and being able to kill and not feel anything. Yeah, that's, that's wild, yeah. We can identify those things, I think, but yeah. in terms of... But I'm I think it's, causality But that's more. the thing. I think it's a combination yeah. of having the unique sort of brain defect that makes it possible. Yeah. Because there's plenty of psychopaths that don't kill people. Right, True. And then a series of other elements in your life, childhood, Trauma. various markers yeah. that sort of drive you to that place. Yeah. He blamed it on pornography. Oh, okay. Well, we would have roughly 200 million serial killers in the U.S. <laughs> if we blamed it on specific... Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> Again, it's it's a combination. Of, I think it really is a combination of so many things. Here's, and we never will know. Well, here's know? my explanation. There's 7 billion humans and guess what a handful of them are going to be fucking incomprehensible yeah they're what they do what they think there's seven billion of us when you think of how evolution works and a mutation might end up yielding some kind of reproductive advantage of seven billion that's a mutation (laughs) he's a mutation of someone who thinks he should kill everyone around him or whatever it is yeah, but I think it's it all falls under similar mental health issues as schizophrenia. Like, we know less about the human brain than we do about space. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. staggering. Yeah. And we're still discovering, you know. Yeah. We just had Andrew Huberman, who runs the Stanford lab on neuroplasticity. Whoa. And so, like, we are inching towards, right, like marrying psychoanalysis and what's actually physically happening in the brain and it's really kind of exciting because like you really had your story taken place in 15 years we might be able to hook ted bundy up to a machine and talk to him and actually get some kind of like flare-ups of of where physiology that's happening yeah it's so interesting so fascinating but it's also ultimate i mean it is a puzzle just a, a horrible puzzle that comes together because it's also so much about control and power and Yes. And there are environmental elements that lead people to want that and need that. Desire yeah. control. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's so many. It I is think with so him, it was a lot of insecurity. Yeah. A sense of place in the world. He's um, the real handsome one, though. What's that? He's the real Ted, handsome Ted one. Ted Bundy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think deep-rooted issues with women. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Power issues there, too. Mm-hmm. But I think that was compensating for what he felt he wasn't. There's a big theory. Oh, tell And me. I don't know... Of course, he always denied it and addressed it as being bullshit. But before he started killing people, I'm pretty sure the timeline works out. He had a relationship with a woman who was kind of above his station a little, a little bit more successful, financially solid, higher education, right? So just a few rungs up the ladder above him, social standing and so on and so forth. And he was in love with her. And that relationship ended. She left him. And a lot of people theorized that he was heartbroken. He then ended up going about like fixing his life, I think, a little bit mm. and got back together with her and dropped her. Like, oh. just got act, her back. took the power of, back as an act of revenge. And mm. a lot of people theorized that that relationship was the sort of crux or the straw that broke the camel's back in regards to that feeling of like, I need to overpower. Uh-huh. I felt less than, mm. I was heartbroken. It's maybe too simple, honestly, but it probably did have something to do with it. I don't think it's too simple. This is happening all over the place. This is like the shooters who write right. the manifestos and the incels, that's what they're oh, called, right? Yeah, like yeah. there's a whole grouping of men who do feel 
insecure and feel like women owe them affection. I don't know. It's such a strange thing, but it's a lot of places. Yeah. Well, I'm lucky I didn't kill any people when I broke up with Kate. Um, we're really lucky you didn't kill anyone. Yeah, yeah we're so yeah. lucky that you been didn't kill anyone. Tipping point I feel, where I could have gone into serial killing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell people because a lot of people probably won't know, but one of the greatest Hollywood stories of all time is Lord of the Rings. In that, Lord of the Rings had been bought by another studio. Mm-hmm. They were not making the movie. They the, invested, I think, a couple million dollars in development funds. Yes, and they were not going to make it, it yeah. seemed. It was Miramax? Miramax. Mm -hmm. And so one of the producers, I guess, said, we would like the movie back. We would like it in turnaround, as they say. And Miramax said, we will only give it back to you in turnaround under two things have to happen. One, we're giving you this weekend. You have to go get it set up this weekend. The window of time was insane. Yeah, it was like two or three days. Something like that, yeah. And whoever makes it has to agree to make all three at once. The backstory a little bit is that they shopped it around town. Peter had, I think they'd made a sort of a pitch video, a sizzle that's pretty impressive, taken to a variety of places. Miramax were the ones to bite. Most people were balking at the notion of doing more than one film Mm. and certainly the notion of doing one movie and not waiting to see how it did. That was the the popular opinion was like, no, you got to see how it does, and then you invest the rest of your money. Of course. Miramax was like, we'll do two. And they were like, okay. And then they ultimately reneged on it, and I can't remember why, but they were like, we can do up to two, but that was it. And then that didn't really go anywhere. And then, yeah, it was brought up to, like, then Peter was like, can we have our movie back? Like, we want to shop it And ultimately... New Line, which isn't a huge studio at that time, they fucking risked that entire studio on that wow. movie. And they did agree at that weekend, okay, we'll make all three and we'll take it over and yeah, we'll so save Peter, them back. I think Peter flew out here and sat down with Bob Shea and everyone at New Line. And I think the lore is that they were coming with two and it was Bob Shea that said, we have to do three, oh, which is insane. If oh, I remember correctly. Okay. But yeah, incredible risk. This impossible errand they sent them out on, yeah. they did, which is crazy. And Miramax I mean, thought there was no chance in hell. And by the way, and Miramax, people don't know, is the Weinstein. The Weinstein. But at that time, yeah. it was probably already owned by Disney. Nope. Oh, it wasn't. No, no, no. That, been a lot. that was Bob and Harvey. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, yeah. Wow, wow, that worked wow. out. Can you imagine? <laughs> this interview could be so different. I could <laughs> be asking if you really Miramax. Out. It's funny, actually. And this was recently spoken about a little on, because Dom and Bill have a podcast, The okay. Friendship Onion. Dom and Billy were two of the hobbits in the film, Mary and Pippin. And they were just talking about, they were talking with Sean Astin about how his first memory of getting to New Zealand for the first time, and he had seen these orc masks. And one of the orc masks, and I remember this vividly, was designed to look like Harvey Weinstein. <gasps> no. no way. As a sort of... Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. That's I think it's okay to talk about that now. Yeah. yeah. The, guy's, guy's, in the guy's fucking incarcerated. Yeah. yeah. Fuck him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, someone will be making another movie about where some FBI guy is going to go talk to him in I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what's ahead oh. for him. We don't need to give that man anymore. No, exactly. No, no, we no, already no, know. No. That yep. That's, no. Yeah. Mm. Going back to... The process of identifying yourself as a young person and growing up in this. I think as I got older, I was also just conscious of like, I'm going to stick to certain spots, but also not engage with other things. Yes. You know what I mean? Sure. Consciously. 
that's hard to do as a young kid, I think. As a kid. I think I, I had the benefit of growing up in this. So by the time I was an adult to be able to go yeah. to those places, I had already sort of formulated who I was and what I was about and what I wasn't about. Well, I'm going to add one piece of good luck that came your way, which was the thing that made you an international sensation was an experience shared with many other people. Yes, that's yes. huge. If yep. you're Iron Man, you know, or if you're the guy, you're so right. Your mind can run away That's from me true. a little bit, but right. y'all were there together. You're yep. all promoting it together. Yep. Yeah. It's and we shared in that experience releasing the films. We traveled together. Yeah. No one was bearing that entirely on their shoulders. Yeah. yeah and it can keep you humble because everyone's getting Fuck fucking yeah. popular. <laughs> you know? totally. Oh, you got, you're popular too? Yeah, I am too. <laughs> I guess I guess we're all popular now. It's not right. that exciting. <laughs> right. Right. It's lovely to be a part of an ensemble in that yeah. regard. Yes. Lovely. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, Elijah, this has been so much fun. This has been great. Yeah. Yes. And those eyes. I don't know. Do you have a <laughs> eye care routine you could let me in on? Eye care routine. <laughs> <laughs> don't. I, wear, I mean, I wear contacts for vision. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should get those. <laughs> Do you put any drops for the whites? No. Okay. Mm. Just are you drinking a lot of water? Not enough. Oh my god! I don't. Genetic I don't hydrate enough. This is always how I'm a it is. terrible. Fucking water Monica's drinker. eyes are really white too, and this bitch and drinks a drink fucking glass water. of water. Maybe once that's a week. the key. <laughs> yeah. Let's just stay dehydrated. Yes. Makes your eyes very white. Yeah. Elijah, this was really fun. It was really fun. And you further substantiate my stereotype about young actors. <laughs> that very right. articulate yeah. yeah very well spoken <laughs> i know that's what's so funny it's like there's this stereotype about i mean and i know why but none of the ones we've talked to everyone's like extra special we should try to get a hold of some of the duds i bet they're amazing too yeah <laughs> like the people that we, we put in the category of oh child actors they've gone crazy they're probably cool well the one would thing i will say because i'm from well, I don't know exactly where in Iowa you're from or what the vibe was like, but I'm from kind of very working class area, a uh, suburb of Detroit. And when I was doing this movie, Zathura, with Josh Hutcherson and Jonah Bobo, and Jonah Bobo, was he was like you. He was just a phenom, just beautiful, fucking brilliant, improv child. Like, he was so special. And his parents were very protective in a great way. They're from New York. They live in Roosevelt Island. And I just fell in love with this kid, Jonah. He was just so good. I would just theorize with the mom. I'm like, I understand that you're concerned and you should be. And this is a very tricky road to navigate. But this kid, like, is so special. I would just hate to think he would be somewhere where this level of specialness wouldn't be appreciated. Right. So right. in some weird way, like, it's such a great home for certain types of kids. Like, I don't know how you would have done in Iowa, but I feel like this was a really good place for you. It was a good place for me. Yeah, yeah. For Jonah to be in a place where being sensitive was like rewarded yes. yeah. and yeah. cherished and yep. nurtured yep. was so awesome. Yep. You know? And I relate to that. Yeah. I definitely relate yeah. to that. Yeah. Like your performance in that movie, The Good Son, like it's beautiful and emotionally available and you're, that's not a good look when you're eight where I grew up. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. Or 10. So I think in some weird way, it's like a very special thing to be able to be encouraged to be emotional, celebrated for being yeah. emotional and sensitive and all these things. I agree. Vulnerability being an attribute that is celebrated, yes. which oftentimes, especially as a man, is... The thing is, you're trying to rid yourself of. Yes, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I've always related to. Have you heard that great Brene Brown sort of vulnerability... 
we TED Talk her. that she does. She's yes. incredible. We interviewed her. Did yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've best. been on her podcast too. Oh, amazing. She lives her. in Austin. She should. Yeah. 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 Well, she lives in Houston, but she has oh, a place in, in Lake okay. Travis. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah, 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 yeah. I got the whole deets. And if you <laughs> want her address, in Houston. she's a professor in Houston. Oh, right. I think still. All right. Wonderful meeting you. You as well. Uh, good luck with the movie. It is available for streaming now, and it is called No Man of God. Check it out. Buy it tonight and get freaky. Thank you, Elijah. Thank you. Thank you. 